Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisor Practice Podcast by Snap Projections, Episode 8. I'm your host, Pavel Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisor practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is David O'Leary. In cliche fashion, David's life was transformed after a trip to Africa. His ensuing soul-searching led him to quit his base street career on a quest to affect positive change. Currently, there are three levers David is pulling to make a dent. As director of impact investing at World Vision Canada, he's mobilizing capital to help the world's most vulnerable people. He also founded Kind Wealth, which we'll talk a little bit more about uh, on the podcast, and not just for profit business helping millennials manage their finances in alignment with their values. David also sits on the board of Parker P Consulting, a social enterprise helping organizations of all shapes and sizes achieve gender equity. David has left worked and volunteered at various times throughout Africa. One of his proudest accomplishments is founding and running grassroots youth development while living in South Africa. David is a frequent speaker at conferences and in the media. He spent 13 years as director of manager research with Morningstar, a global investment data and research provider. David holds a BA in English Literature from the University of Toronto, an MBA from the Rotman School of Business, and a CFA designation. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Pavel. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So, David, I'm really excited to have you on because not only because you have a very interesting background, but also how your background uniquely, uh, what I believe, shapes uh, what you're building with uh, what you're doing and building um, uh, with uh, Kind Wealth. So, let's maybe start with Kind Wealth. So, tell me uh, about about uh, about your firm. Uh, what do you do and who do you serve? Yeah, so we offer uh, fee-only financial planning uh, targeted to what I think is a you know greatly underserved demographic, and that's kind of broadly speaking the millennial demographic, but you know extends up to probably young Gen, Gen Xers and uh, older uh, Gen Z. Um, and so this is a, an area of the market that really traditionally just hasn't been served very well. Um, and so fee-only financial planning essentially means we handle financial planning which is uh, all of the things, questions that people have about their finances aside from, hey, can you invest my money for me on my behalf? So we don't do any asset management. Excellent. So uh, let me, let's maybe start with the, the reasons. Why did you start Kind Wealth in the first place? Yeah, so I, um, I started it um, because... Uh, so it came as an evolution of... I started a... Um, I left my investment research uh, career... I was living overseas at the time, moved back home and started a traditional um, fee-based financial advisory practice with a couple of uh, friends of mine who I'd grown up with. And they were both um, independent financial advisors, um, both with Manulife Securities. And um, we sort of came together and they were going to unify their um, their client bases. Um, and uh, we would work together and I'd join them and we'd help build the build the business. And we were serving... Kind of mass affluent, high net worth um, investors uh, doing financial planning and um, and asset management, so discretionary portfolio management, and we did that for probably a year and a half, two years. What I was very excited about, um, there were two things that I was primarily motivated that motivated me to leave my career, uh, move back home, and and go on this path was that a that I wanted to. Um, I was excited about using my skills in finance to help people give back to causes that mattered 
to them. So this sort of idea of making a dent, making the world a better place, that very much appealed to me. And the second thing was I had spent my career in investment research really critiquing the um, the mutual fund industry and broad, more broadly speaking, kind of the financial advisory and, and personal finance um, industry in Canada, evaluating money managers of mutual funds and saying whether they were doing a good job or not, and whether the companies that sold those products were really looking after their clients, the investors, and making decisions that were in their best interest. And so I had a lot of, I think, over the years, I built up a lot of concerns about the way the industry was set up and I found that it was often orchestrated in a manner to benefit the the stakeholders in the industry, the mutual fund providers, the banks, the all the industry you know stakeholders at, at the expense sometimes of of the client itself. And so I was excited about disrupting that space and doing things differently. And what I found was, you know, over a year and a half, two years, we just, I think, didn't quite see eye to eye on all of those things. And we had different views on the direction we wanted to head with things. And so when, uh, so we, we went our separate ways. And when I started Kind Wealth, it was my opportunity to do all of those things that I, I wanted to do originally. But sometimes when you're working with partners, have to make some compromises on. And so that's where I went completely different direction, went to a different demographic, much younger, and went fee-only financial planning. Um, despite the fact that you know, my kind of previous experience was in in asset management research, so I'm much more familiar with the asset management side of things. But the big, big need, I think, for most people, they have a much bigger need for financial planning. The asset management side of the business, I think, is increasingly becoming commoditized, and so that's why I focused on the on the financial planning. That makes a lot of sense, and I'm sure you were very complex, right? I mean, the the, the industry is uh, is what it is. It's changing rapidly, but. Uh... Uh, but I, I'm sure I'm sure there's there's you know you felt a little conflict that uh, um, uh, when when you were basically doing uh, investment research earlier on and so how do you think mm, your experiences your trips to Africa and your your volunteering experience how do you think uh, your your past experiences and your background is, is actually helping shape uh, kind wealth? Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's such a huge part of it. So I mean the the the, the short version of the story is I I met my wife in 2010. Um, and she, I had spent, you know, I grew up an upper middle class white kid in s- suburbia and in Toronto and in, in the West End of Toronto. Uh, and my wife came from a long line of international development workers. And so she grew up in primarily Ethiopia during the famine in the 1980s. And so our backgrounds and, um, worldviews were so radically different. Um, and so I found it fascinating that I had, you know, I had spent precisely zero amount of time thinking about others beyond my friends and family. And she, her family had spent their lives dedicated to helping um, others. And so I found that fascinating, started to learn more about it. I took a trip. Um, she helped me organize a volunteer trip uh, with World Vision, coincidentally, where I'm, I'm doing some work now. Uh, and I spent six weeks in Sierra Leone. And I remember, you know, like the, you know, the week before my trip, I had been, you know, on a, what I call a stewardship visit, a due diligence visit with, um, you know, RBC. And we were kind of at the top of the you know, RBC tower talking to the executives about their, um, you know, overlooking Bay Street and, and talking about their asset management and how they go about, you know, managing assets and how they price their products and how they create their products and all the things that we sort of would um, ask money managers about. And the next week, I'm in the middle of a really remote, um, village in Sierra Leone um, on the border of Liberia, and um, hey, in a school that's really just a, a you know a shack with the entire village in one classroom, um, and it's just it was a 
profound. It's such a cliche to talk about a, a, another white guy going to Africa and coming about talking about how his life was changed. But um, that's a that's what happened. <laughs> it's exactly what happened. And so I uh, that profoundly impacted me. And I spent kind of the next seven years trying to figure out how am I going to use my skills in finance um, to what really rankled me about poverty was the uneven distribution of opportunity in the world. It's so crazily unfair that I had so much more opportunity because of where I was born and who I was born to than somebody in rural Sierra Leone who, you know, may be born with HIV, um, you know, because a parent had HIV and like, you just don't stand anywhere near the same chance in life. And that's just not, you know, of, of succeeding um, and, and building a, you know, a secure and, and happy life. And, and that seems so wildly unfair. And so I spend a long time trying to figure out what the irony of it was, you know, my skills are entirely baked and wrapped up in, if you have some money, I can help you make more money <laughs> um, by investing in the markets and figuring and, and in a developed world where there's a functioning stock market and bond market, and you take all these things for granted. And I was asked to do a presentation in, in Sierra Leone around the, you know, because the, the, the people you know, kind of working that I was working there with were like, "Oh, you know about finance? Tell us about how we can, you know, improve our financial situation." And I remember looking at the group, thinking, "Like, oh, I, I have no idea what to tell you. I mean, I, I help people who already have money invest in a very functioning, highly developed market, and my skills seem particularly useless in this environment." And so I spent, you know, as I mentioned, kind of six, seven years thinking about what do I do? I felt so powerless, and 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 I eventually sort of came to that and kind wealth was was some part of that right it's 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 how do you get people thinking about and engaged in in giving back to the causes that matter to them um, whether that's poverty or not doesn't doesn't matter whatever really excites them if I can help bring up that discussion in a conversation not to force it on anybody but be be looking for those opportunities when you're having very intimate discussions with your clients about their hopes and dreams and planning their financial futures and what matters to them and what's important to them. If, if as a financial planner or advisor, you're open to that, those opportunities to, to bring up, oh, have you thought about, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can impact these things that matter to you, these values that you have, these, uh, you know, just as an example, somebody talks about, well, you know, uh, in their financial planning, well, you know, we really need to think about having X amount of dollars per month because, you know, my brother, uh, suffers from a mental illness and the medication's expensive and my parents you know can't afford it and so we need to plan that into our finances if that's something that comes up and you tell the that you can tell your clients very passionate about mental health as a as a cause you know why not bring up the discussion around have you thought about ways that you can impact that it clearly seems like it's a really important and meaningful issue to you and is that something you want to learn more about and think about and can can I help you do that so that was sort of the genesis for the kind part of kind wealth. That makes a lot of sense. And you know what, you mentioned that your life was transformed by just the visit to Africa. But you know what, I can actually relate to that quite well because, you know, I was actually born in, in, in Poland, which, uh, mm. um, you know, it's uh, used to be a communist country. And, uh, you know, I don't remember, I'm way too young to remember those kind of times, but I did speak by, with my parents and I actually remember that, uh, you know, there was a time when you could not, for example, open a business in Poland, right? I mean, it was just, it was completely different. And uh, and then to me, you know, it's just coming to, to North America and Canada, 
that was a cultural shock. So, you know, I can, I can only imagine, you know, how, what, what you've seen and witnessed uh, by you know, going to Africa. So let's go back. Uh, let's maybe talk a little bit more, more about the, just the core values. What are the core values of, of Kind Wealth? Because you were kind of earlier stage of, of still building a lot, a lot of different processes and, 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 and of the business. But what are, what are the values? What are the things important to you in terms of Kind Wealth? So number one, I'd be fascinated to hear more about your your, uh, your story and your growing up in, in in Poland and sort of the experience you had coming over here. I know this is not a <laughs> we're not covering you another time. time to talk <laughs> about that, but I, as a side note, I'd be fascinated to have that discussion sometime. Um, if you'll let me guest host sometime, I'll interview you. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Um, as for the values, yeah, I I, I think um, so. There's a few things, right? I mean. I I very very strongly believe in kind of having principles that you kind of live your life by, and you sort of draw a line in the sand on the things that are important to you, and then you just stick to those things. and And I find there's often if you don't sort of make those things clear and you, to yourself, and and one way to do that is to make it clear to everybody else and be very sort of vocal about those things. It holds you to kind of a higher standard. So I often I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but when I when I named kind wealth kind wealth, you set the bar fairly high in terms of your code of conduct, right? I mean, even, even I think about it, if I'm, you know, driving around on the streets and sometimes get a little road rage, you know, if the people who knew me, you know, saw my behavior, you know, you're under easy attack for like, well, that's not, you're not acting particularly kindly. Um, and so we all have those moments, including me where I'm, you know, probably not the nicest guy and probably a bit of a jerk. And so I like that it, I'm very publicly upfront about the kind wealth aspect and that internally holds me to a higher standard. And so I, I think, on the value side, that's something that's that's important and valuable is to, is to state those things explicitly. So, our website's probably going live um, next week. It's been much delayed, but some of the values that we put up front are commitment to radical truth and radical transparency, and those two are, are really big ones for me. Um, in that, those are kind of some of the things that I think are lacking in the industry right now. Transparency, especially. So, transparency around fees is is a, a really big issue in the industry, one that I felt needed a radical disruption. And so Kind Wealth was set up with a flat fee, um, monthly subscription pricing. So the client pays right from their credit card. There's a monthly amount. They know exactly what they're paying because they get a credit card statement every month showing exactly what they've paid us. And there's absolutely zero question about you know trying to interpret what's that... Per- you know If it's a percentage of assets, which is typically how advisors charge. Um, having to do the math and translate that. And B, it doesn't just come out of your investment account. It doesn't just get quietly siphoned out of your investment account so that you're unaware. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's crazy that... I, I've, I've written an article on this. It's like the biggest expense you're paying right now and you have no idea how much you're paying for most people is financial advice. It's because it just gets quietly siphoned out of their account. And for some people, this is thousands of dollars a year. I mean, there's nothing else that you'd spend thousands of dollars a year on and not even be able to say and know how much you're paying and where it's going and who it's going to. You don't even see it. So those are two big ones, radical truth and radical transparency. Excellent. So let's talk maybe a little bit more about the business model, right? Because you you said that uh, you you're, you switched the business, really the demographics, where you were focused maybe on you know, X, Y uh, uh, kind of demographics, uh, demographic, and, uh, and 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 the retaining base model is based basically the uh, the how you're going to build uh, uh, the the company. But what really attracted you, or uh, you know what uh, what uh, prompted you to start looking at this kind of demographic? 
So, um, Michael Kitsis, um, who you know, I think most financial advisors would be familiar with. He uh, is probably probably the most followed sort of guru um, in the U.S. around talking about issues that financial advisors face. He has a podcast, um, and he had on Sophia Barra, who um, is a young um, CFP financial planner who would started, I think it's called XY um, Planning. And she had this model, and, and that's the first I had heard about it. And I, I'm sure she wasn't the absolute first person, but she's on this kind of early wave in the U.S. that this is a trend that's really kind of exploding right now, this uh, monthly subscription retainer-based um, model, called the next Netflix model or whatever we want. But um, that's that was where I'd first heard about it. And she talked in-depth about the approach, the model, the how she was sort of building the business. And I could barely finish listening to the podcast before I you know, before I wanted to start just jumping on that because it was so in line with it, it sort of unlocked this. I was, I was wrestling with how do you, how do you price things and how do you structure things that allow you to be transparent, fair, make some money and serve a demographic that doesn't have a lot of financial assets yet. And so this really resonated with me. Makes sense. And so, so uh, yes, I'm familiar with XY Planning One Network and, and their approach. And I think, you know, there are some differences between the U.S. and Canada. So I'm really, actually really looking forward to see what, uh, uh, what, uh, what the future holds and uh, how this is going to play out here in Canada. Mm-hmm. But um, another question for you. So uh, their, their focus is clearly X and Y, right? What do you think about applying this model to consumers even who are older, right? For example, who are maybe boomers or maybe people already in, in retirement. I mean, what about them? That's such a good question. Um, yeah. So the irony about all of this is that the people who would benefit from it most are exactly the people who have the most money. Um, because once you do flat fee pricing, you've unhinged it to the amount of assets the client has. And so right. um, yeah, the more money you have, the cheaper it becomes as a percentage and the cheaper it becomes relative to the traditional pricing model. So it is, it is an even greater attraction and, and um, more valuable to uh, yeah, the more wealthy and that correlates with age um, in most cases. And so, but the, the, tr- the trouble is, so A, we're not, a kind wealth doesn't turn away. Like we won't say, no, you're too old, we won't help you. You know, fi- my colleague Shay um, Stacy, who um, leads up our heads up our financial planning, has you know, twelve years of experience, and most recently with uh, RBCDS, and she's focused on that that demographic. So w- we have that capability. We know that market really, really well, and and can serve it. But we're just not our primary focus. And the and the trouble is that when you've got that demographic, when you've been used to your entire life having fees just sort of coming out of your account and not being really aware of them. Even when somebody comes along and says, Hey, you know, we're, we're doing flat fee we're, it's harder for, for kind wealth. The more aware the client is of the fee they're paying, the higher the standard they hold you to, they really start to ask questions about, Oh, how much value am I getting for this, you know, monthly amount that I'm paying? And so that's harder for us, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that at the end of the long term, that'll win out. That'll be the business strategy that, that pays off long term, which is doing the right thing call that naive or optimistic, but I, I think I'm firmly convinced that's true. So, but this, but this demographic, they're so used to it not being the case. They're also, there's, it is confusing to a lot of people. And it's, and unless you like implicitly trust the person you're speaking to, sometimes you're just sort of confused by it. You're uncomfortable with it. It's different than what you've experienced your whole life. And so you just sort of revert back to a bank. There's safety in that. I know there's a brand behind that. I don't know who Kind Wealth is. I don't understand this, why it's coming off my credit card when no, you know, I've never had that experience before. And so sometimes that's a hard sell 
despite the fact that it would save them, you know, in, in a lot of cases, some cases it's like thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. And I think these are really good points. I think, uh, you know, interestingly, I think I remember, still remember RoboAdvisors back in 2014, for example, early sort of sort of stages. And everybody was talking about, you know, younger um, demographics, about, you know, millennials, for example, right? Right. Uh, and, uh, but the truth is, there are a lot of retirees, pre-retirees investing with RoboAdvisors right now. Right. And uh, I guess nobody's really talking about that, but that's that really, you know, it, it shifted and it really took, you know, three, four years to, 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 to have this kind of shift uh, in the market. So I think there, I think that there are some really interesting opportunities uh, and um, to explore. Um, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the fees uh, that you are planning to charge uh, to the consumer. Can you talk about the different sort of plans, different different um, options that you have right now? Yeah. So we price it right now and we've struggled a lot with with this because, again, when you when you're. Uh, you know, it's being done in the US, but you've got to sort of test it out in Canada and see. So we've been doing it now for um, about three, four months where, you know, we've got sort of clients on this model. And so uh, there's uh, in pricing for an individual versus a family um, versus a business owner. And so when we say business owner, it's somebody, it's, it's a meaningful business and or multiple businesses um, where you've got a fair bit of planning that interacts with their, their personal financial situation. Um, and that the business pricing we're still kind of figuring out, it may end up just sort of being a custom pricing rather than standard. But on the individual and, and family planning side, there's a, there's a combination of an upfront setup fee. So because of the amount of work that's involved with financial planning is very front-end heavy, getting to know your client, collecting all their information, getting organized, building the, the, the bones, the infrastructure of their financial plan, uh, we do charge an upfront fee. And then we charge a monthly retainer after that. So to give you some perspective on the individual plans, um, and I think we're starting probably, quite frankly, I think we're probably underpricing just right now, but um, we're, we're sort of seeing where the, where the market falls on this. But on an individual plan, it ranges from kind of $1,500 to $2,500 upfront, one-time fee, and then uh, a monthly um, payment of $100 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for families, it's uh, anywhere from fifteen hundred to kind of three thousand dollars up front, and it's um, one hundred and fifty dollars a month um, after that. And so, when you kind of do the math, um, so a uh, also a couple other things. So the clients can cancel at any time. So the the downside to the client is if if three months into the they they cancel, they've paid a lot of money, um, you know, just to cancel three months later. That said, our, our setup fee, if you were kind of working with other fee-only financial planners who charge just flat fee pricing, what happens is they typically say to you, char- pay you know X number of dollars. We're going to define the scope of our engagement. I'm going to deliver X, Y, and Z to you. And then you know a year from now, we may update it and then that's it. And if you want anything else from us again, then come back and we redefine a scope and we quote you a price and we do that again for you. So our model's our, our setup fee often is is kind of in the ballpark or sometimes cheaper than um, what fee, uh, most of the other fee-only planners charge anyway. So I don't know that you're necessarily losing out all that much because we still deliver a plan and give you all the advice, get you organized and set you straight. Um, the monthly retainer is so that we continue to stay engaged, update the plan over time as, as your circumstances change. Life is messy. Things happen. Your goals change. Your circumstances change. And so we're just on retainer to update that change it when, when it needs to be um, tweaked and adjusted, answer questions that you have as things get thrown at you in life. Maybe you change jobs uh, and you need to think about, you know, commuting your pension or you need to think about whether you pay back, uh, buy, you know, you've took 
time off for maternity leave, you need to think about buyback into your pension. Does that make sense? And so like, we're just around to answer questions as that's what the retainer does. And sort of the questions come up for the, for the consumers. Okay, this, is, this makes a lot of sense. So, um, so, we have, um, so we have the retainer model and it's very clear, very transparent. You can cancel any time. You can probably cancel and sub- subscribe again you know, within the same month, I guess. Yep. Uh, so it's very, very easy to work, uh, to work with, uh, with you, very easy to understand this uh, pricing structure. Now, so planning is really just uh, the, the starting point, right? Because there's no value. There is no use of a plan that, is, that hasn't been implemented. So what are your thoughts on, on maybe uh, helping with the implementation? Of, uh, of the plan and, and later on later uh, potentially maybe I don't know maybe looking at the inv- uh, investment arm as well maybe partnering up with web advisors uh, do you have any thoughts on that yeah so that's a great point so we um, so we're we're agnostic on the on the asset management side we do have a relationship with um, a number of firms where we we know them well and we think they do good work and we're um, we think they serve a, um, they provide good value to our clients and we will make those um, suggestions and recommendations for clients because most of the time they are looking for that aspect. They need some help with that. And it doesn't really make sense to keep your assets at your bank in mutual funds paying 2.5% and then paying us for financial planning. So what we typically try to do is get the clients to move their assets. If they're going to pay us and work with us, what they want to do then is find asset management that strips out the cost of advice. Um, So there's a few ways to do that. They could set up a discount brokerage and they can do all their own trading and they, you know, we're not there to recommend securities and, and make investments, but um, you know, we can give them advice on how to set one of those up, and we can help them with their asset allocation and thinking about the decisions. But ultimately, they make their own choices and they invest their own assets. But um, what ha- often happens is there's a couple couple alternatives that tend to work well for for most of our clients for the younger demographic where they've got kind of assets below a hundred thousand. Um, well, simple works really really well, and we've partnered with them. We technically sit on their advisor platform. Mm-hmm. And what that means is clients who sign up uh, and work with us and want to use Wealthsimple can get discounted pricing through, uh, through us. Um, and when they set up their accounts, uh, we are able to actually see their accounts and um, look into them and explain what's happening to their accounts and, and then have all that live information um, in their plan. And so if we say, you know, you need to set up a TFSA and an RRSP, we can definitely help them do that. So sometimes we'll, if, if the, you know, the clients can... Well, Simple's interface is so easy that a client can typically do it themselves. But if not, we jump on a video chat and we can help them kind of walk through, share screen and walk them through the setup process. So the nice thing about Simple and the robo-advisory space is that it's entirely virtual and we are as well. So it's another sort of factor. We, we reduce our costs uh, and keep the overhead low that allows us to serve this younger demographic at a price point that's reasonable for them. And we do that partly by just no office overhead, no sort of a lot of the same uh, physical overhead expenses that come with having a traditional advisory office. So we do everything virtually um, and, and conduct all our meetings via video chat. Great. Uh, great point. And of course, you have a lot less compliance, uh, right. uh, I guess, right? Um, so uh, is there anything on the compliance side, actually, that you have to pay attention to? Just curious. Yeah, so you definitely... So there's a couple things. I mean, one is the the regulators right now are are sort of increasingly... Um, talking about regulating who can and can't call themselves financial planners. I think that's wonderful. Um, so I hold CFP level one. Um, I will work towards the sort of complete CFP designation. But our head financial planner who leads all our, our client relationships is, is a CFP. And I think that's a kind of a necessary minimum requirement. Um, 
and then and then B, you have to be very careful about you know not construing that you're giving um, investment advice. That's not something we're licensed to do, and it's not something we we plan to do. But that's where we make it very clear uh, that um, the clients work with a well simple. What where I fin- didn't finish that last thought was that for for certain clients where they prefer to have a some active management and or just a more of a traditional investment management approach, there are. Other firms like, for instance, Steadyhand, based out of Vancouver, that does uh, you know that offers traditional mutual funds, but their pricing is is much much cheaper than the competition. They strip out the the advice component from their MERs, and they 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 work very hard to keep their their expenses low. And so we have those types of options for people who want to want to you know, have their mass assets managed actively and or more traditionally with a, a person to interact with. Um, so we've got a couple options on that side. But from the compliance perspective, once you remove the asset management, it, it reduces a lot. What we then just sort of keep as a guiding our North Star is do what's right for your client in all circumstances. Put their interests ahead of your own. But that's where, and I'm, I'm sorry to, to ramble on so long here, but that's where it's very important, the, the pricing mechanism, the very fact that we have flat fee pricing. I think almost entirely, I, I can't think of any other conflicts of interest that exist between us and our client when, you've, when you move to flat fee pricing. Because what happens, this doesn't get talked enough, nearly enough in our industry, but there's a lot of negative attention right now and deservedly so on the commission kind of base model, particularly deferred sales charge um, loads. And that's obvious because the fund company is the one paying the the product provider is the one paying the advisor, so they you know they, their interests are conflicted. But even like traditional asset based pricing, I think is is very severely conflicted. And I'll give you a very real example. So a client comes to you as a where you're charging a percentage of their assets as a as, as a way you charge fees, and they come to you and say, "Hey, you know, I've been working for my company for thirty years. I'm retired now, and they're." I've got a defined benefit pension and they're offering for me to commute the, the, the pension value. I can, get, I can take a one-time payout for a million bucks or I can keep my, my pension indefinitely and continue to receive the benefits. What should I do? And so the advisor in that situation has a huge conflict of interest. Right. They tell the client, yeah, take the payout. Right. They're going to collect, let's call it 1% on you know, a million dollars. You're going to make $10,000 a year. Because they told the client, or whereas if they tell the client, no, no, keep keep the pension and keep just get the annual payment and live off those those payments. Well, now they get nothing, and that and and the clients are often unaware that that conflict exists because the advisor doesn't bring it up. So that's a big problem. Like if the client comes to you with the traditional asset based pricing, if a client comes to you and asks you anything, should I should I should I invest my money or do anything else? Buy a piece of property, pay down debt. Um, whatever it is, give it away to charity. The advisor's best interest is no, no, don't do those invested instead. Cause that's the only way I'm going to make any money. And, and that doesn't get talked about enough. I'm so glad that you brought it up. And this is an excellent example. And I think, uh, I think the benefits of having a very clearly, uh, defined and really aligned business model with the, with, with, uh, you know, with, uh, the ones who you serve, uh, I mean, that's really makes everything easier, transforms everything and just make, make, makes, makes your organization so much stronger. 
uh, when it comes to even you know thinking about uh, let's say uh, expanding or hiring. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about hiring too because uh, we we spent quite a bit of time talking on the about the consumer side. But uh, uh, well, I believe that uh, you will probably be expanding at some at some point. So uh, you probably are a very attractive alternative uh, to uh, young planners, for example, uh, that the one the ones that actually want to focus on planning, not. Uh, being in a more of a sales role, uh, working for a large bank uh, here in Canada. So, um, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of planner would be a good fit uh, to be working with uh, Kind Wealth? Yeah. So, what we're in the middle of doing right now, Shay and I um, are building out a process around um, you know what are the client deliverables look like. Um, how do you? What's the sort of CRM process for? How do we onboard and up, you know get clients' information? How do we store it and manage it? And how do we? What are the sort of touch points with clients after the initial engagement? And what do our newsletters look like? And so there's a whole kind of foundation that we're building. And then as we build that, bringing on other financial planners who want to want to build a book of clients and want to work with with people and manage you know uh, their kind of their own client base and be able to do that virtually. So if they want to build this, their, their, their book of clients and, you know, help them, you know, spend three months in France for the summer as they, and they help their clients from there because they can video chat and do everything remotely. Um, and they don't have to go work for a bank. I mean, the traditional model right now, if, if you're a young financial planner, so the answer is like, we're looking for young financial planners who, you know, maybe have a little bit of experience, but, you know, not tons and, and are looking to sort of or earlier on in the career, but the traditional model right now is you come out of school and you, you get your financial planning certifications, and you don't have any, there's a few problems. So like one is, hey, I, like I've learned all the theory, but like I haven't actually sat down. What do I say to the client? How do I structure the meetings? And what do I deliver to them? What do I give them? I don't you know I don't have all that worked out yet, and that's overwhelming to try to just do that all from day one. The practice management aspect, right? Yeah, the mm-hmm. practice management, and then the other aspect is. As a with a percentage of assets pricing, you have to focus on people who have a lot of money because that's where you, that you, know, you can only make. That's how you make any money. You can't make any money off people who don't have a lot of financial assets. So younger people have, you know, increasingly have good incomes, um, and and you know, money in real estate, but no, not much in financial assets. So you can't really focus on that market. So what that means is you're 30 years old, and you need 65 year old clients who have a million dollars or more, and there's only so many rich uncles or you know uncles that you have with a million bucks that are willing to give you their you know work with you and have you manage their money and do their financial planning and so what that means is you've got to go work for somewhere that has distribution that can feed you clients and so then you go and you work for a bank or investors group and they pay you a, a salary and a bonus and you do all the work and you build all the relationships and after you do that for 10 or 15 years if you make enough uh, um, you build up really good relationships with your clients and you've got a big enough book of business and you want to be independent. You no longer want to, you know, be a salaried employee or or work for an organization. You can then leave, and you try to take as many of the clients with you. And then the bank threatens to sue you because they say they own the client, which is a whole other rant I could go on about. <laughs> a bank owning a client is preposterous. But anyway, they'll try to threaten to sue you. And if you cover your tracks well, you you know, like a good for for an industry benchmark. Like if you take half your clients with you. That's a real good percentage. Like you've built good relationships because inevitably there's a bunch of friction, right? You've got clients who become disengaged over the years and or they're just uncomfortable, they're busy, they can't be bothered to switch because you've got to repaper them if you leave, set up all the accounts again. It's a fair bit of work. So a good benchmark, if you take half your clients and half your assets with you, it's really great. 
But that's after 10 to 15 years of working at a bank, working your butt off, threatening to be sued. You know, so there's no model for, hey, like I want to be a financial planner. I'm young and I just want to do it myself. But I don't also want to be an entrepreneur and build my whole business and do all the back-end stuff that comes with being an entrepreneur. So Kind Wealth is kind of looking to create a viable alternative for younger planners who want to build some experience, get some... And, and, and with this pricing model, by the way, the nice thing is you're 30 years old, but now flat fee pricing means you don't care how, what, how much assets somebody has. You can help anybody regardless. So all of your friends and family, your colleagues, your entire networks who are in and around your age become potential clients for you. Absolutely. So it sounds like you're a really good uh, option for somebody who's younger, who uh, has a little bit of experience, um, and, but who's still early in their career because you can provide them a lot of support. And really, the support can save them a lot of time because they can go on their own. But you know what? They will have to figure this out, everything from marketing to internal systems and to practice management, meeting with clients, and so on, so on. So um, so this is great. This is great. Um, so a couple of other, couple of, uh, questions before, before we wrap up here. So, uh, let's maybe focus on some of the challenges. What uh, have been some of your biggest challenges that you've uh, encountered so far in building kind wealth? Oh boy. Uh, lots. Um, so just, you know, the, the, I think the, I'm going to avoid the sort of the traditional, um, challenges that I think that all entrepreneurs face. So like, you know, money, time, resources, um, but I think there, there's a few. So, so one is we're proving out a new model, so pricing model in particular, and so that's um, a challenge. There's no question this the way of pricing this type of pricing is unquestionably much harder on us because it's so transparent and people are so aware about it. And because it's different, you've got to have a conversation about it. Um, but I think it's the right thing to do, so it's worth the effort. And then, and then the kind of building out all of the the infrastructure that even like building out your tech stack there's lots of challenges around what you know what what technologies play nicely together um, so I'm sure that's a question yeah, that's a, affects more than just our industry but one of the challenges in our industry is there's not a lot of great advisor specific or financial planner specific software in Canada we don't have nearly the same number of options uh, that the US market does and I you know I've listened to your previous podcast with uh, with uh, Jay Pereira, who's a buddy of mine, um, and he was kind of lamenting the same the same fact. So there's not as many choices um, ar- around that, and then how they kind of integrate with one another. As as an example, another big area is like we're looking to kind of squeeze efficiencies out of the process with technology wherever we can, where it makes sense. So one of those areas I think is the onboarding process, where clients are like, "Hey, give us all of your financial information," and the thought of that for most people is stressful, they may have fear and anxiety around just having to face and look at their actual financial details, thinking about going and diving through all their drawers full of statements and trying to organize things. So anything that technology can do to speed that process up, make it more efficient for us and for the client and reduce anxiety around that is helpful. Um, And so that's an area right now that there's a big, big gap in the market. Absolutely. And I do remember the conversation that I had with Jason. I think we spent probably 20 minutes talking about his technology stack and some of the frustrations that he had. And, and I can definitely second that, uh, you know, from, from our perspective, because, you know, we were tr- really trying to be f- very much focused on, um, on, on planning, but there's so many other challenges advisors come to us all the way, uh, from, you know, the client boarding, collect data collection. Uh, and, uh, there's just too many things even to talk about. So, um, but I think, you know, the good thing is, I think it's going to change. I think you, yeah, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of acceleration in the market right now. There's a lot of 
focus on fintech. So I think as you're proving this new mo- business model, there will be more tools to support this business model. So things will get uh, easier over time. The other thing, sorry, just to, to cut you off, I'll, I'll mention as a challenge is, so, and you had, uh, had asked this question earlier and I didn't really address it, is the longer term, I think, uh, so I, I very much would like to be able to um, manage assets for, for, for clients. And so that that is a challenge, just sort of the regulatory process and the cost uh, and sort of administrative burden and compliance burden around that. Um, so it's something that I'm actively solving, but I, I'm particularly interested not in doing traditional asset management because as I kind of alluded to at the very beginning of this podcast, I think that's quickly become commoditized. So we've seen with passive um, investments, ETFs, smart beta, the costs on that, the margins are really being squeezed and, and they should because I think the the investment management process is something that can... It, of all the things that we do in this space is the is the most ripe to be replaced by technology by you know by algorithms by rules um, uh, machines are in some ways a lot better at making some of these decisions and identifying patterns and and removing emotion from the equation i don't think they're perfect i think there's value in having the human but it takes you know it compresses those margins because you replace a lot of the manual labor but where there's a an area of great need and then of course, you know, as a result of the great need and the lack of supply is is fatter margins is on the kind of values based investing. So, what I'd love to do, my so the long term goal is a world where clients can have cause based or kind of SDG. I don't know if that's a term that you know, most people are going to be familiar with, but what does it stand for? SDG. The um, the Sustainable Development Goals, sorry, based out of the um, the UN and. Um, they're basically like, you know, here are these goals that we have for good development across the world and people among people who need it. So like, you know, poverty, you know, ending poverty is, is one of those goals. Um, uh, re- reducing hunger, you know, removing hunger, um, good nutrition, uh, gender equality, improving education. So there's, there's um, 17 of these sustainable development goals. And so what you find is that people each kind of have their cause. Like, hey, I care about... Education. I care about climate change. Somebody else cares about social justice or the environment or energy. And so there's kind of these causes aligned with these sustainable development goals. And the entire world is kind of getting behind and organizing along these, these goals that the UN has set out. And so what I'd love to do is have portfolios long term that are aligned with people's goals. And so a combination of, you know, kind of very traditional non SRI or impact investments with Supplemented increasingly with SRI investments and/or impact investments, where they're aligned to those those things that matter to you. So, if it's gender equality, having as that as the market and the the number of investment products uh, increasingly proliferate around SRI and impact investments, that you'd kind of move from. Right now, it's kind of hard to build an entire portfolio of gender equity, you know, investments. Uh, there's just not that much product in the market. But over time, you know, so you'd start with a heavily kind of traditional-based investment portfolio and maybe have some SRI um, ETFs in there that focus on gender equality. Um, but as that the amount of product out there proliferates, that increasingly you transition from kind of traditional assets to more and more SRI and or impact investments that target those causes that matter to you. So long, long term, you're managing a portfolio for clients that not only kind of achieves and matches their risk return profile, but also their 
um, you know, their, their purpose, their values, their mission profile. And so, and it could be a combination of, um, of, of causes, right? So you could have something that's focused on gender equality and ending poverty, um, for instance, which are two big causes for me, um, or, you know, energy and the environment or, you know, whatever it is. So, um, that's a longer term goal that I have, but that starts with being, you know, getting licensed and having the ability to actually manage even traditional, um, assets. Well, that's a maybe longer term goal, but it's just an amazing goal. And I really like that about, about you. And I think that the way you have your, your building kind of well, how you're positioning, being focused on values. I mean, that's, you're the right person to actually go and execute that. So, so this is great. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we, we came back to that and you mentioned that. Um, so last, uh, last question, um, uh, David, uh, this podcast is all about growing your practice. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom uh, for the listeners? Yeah, I, I think this is a exci- really exciting time right now in our space. You know, when I first left my um, uh, career at Morningstar, I uh, was getting into you know this this fee based advisory practice, but going into the financial advisory side of the business, and I, no, more than one person said to me, "Oh, are you sure this is a good idea?" Like this seems like a bad time to be doing that, given the kind of compressing margins, the increasing scrutiny around advisor compensation. Um, and to me, I looked at it and said, oh, this is the perfect time to be doing it because any times of disruption and change means um, there's opportunity as well and you just have to position yourself for it. So I, that's what I've done with Kind Wealth. I think we're set up very, very well for the trends that are emerging now and will only, I think, continue to strengthen. So I feel like there's a bit of a tidal wave and we're just starting it. And we're, we're positioning ourselves well to, right in front of it. But But I'd encourage anybody with kind of ideas like, and I'm, I'm very open about what we're doing and how we're doing it because, and people say, well, why, why would you share that? Cause like people are going to copy you. I would love it. I hope there's tons and tons of advisors and planners that go out and do the, the monthly retainer based and commit to transparency and, you know, doing what's right for their client. Cause that's, that's what I'm doing this for. That's why I'm here. I mean, I, I'm happy to help people. And I enjoy helping people reach their goals. That's very fulfilling, but like, boy, I'll feel even better about the, like doing that at scale where I've motivated, incentivized, and proven to other people that this, this model can work. And so it doesn't have to be this model, but I encourage people to like, there's a ton of opportunity. You don't have to stick with the status quo. Invent, come up, innovate, and do what's right for the client. And that, that will be the business model that succeeds in the long term because I, I, maybe I'm naive or optimistic, but I believe in that. I don't think you're naive at all. I think I fully agree with everything what you're saying here. And I think I think this business model, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, this market is hugely underserved. So uh, I think there's a huge opportunity and there are so many different sub-niches, right? So it's not about you know having more people, feeling uh, planners, for example, competing for the same market, right? But just if they can focus on different areas. And I think uh, I think so there's... Uh, so I think there's a, there's a lot of um, opportunity. I just want to h- highlight that. Uh, great uh, great time to start fee-only uh, fee-for-service um, business. Uh, so David, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, whether they're a consumer or an advisor, with maybe with some questions uh, or a younger planner, uh, thinking about joining maybe and working with you, uh, what's, uh, what's the best way to reach you? How, do you? how would they connect with you? Yeah, so um, I'm at, my email is dave at kindwealth.ca. And then our website, uh, kindwealth.ca, uh, should be live uh, next week. There's a landing page right now. But uh, yeah, hopefully by the time this actually airs and people are listening, the, the site will be, will be live. And if not, it will be imminent. So those are the two best places to reach me. Wonderful. David, thanks for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And I had a great time. Thank you very much, Pavel. Uh, 
And that's it for this episode. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at podcast at snapprojections.com. And if you're enjoying the show and want more of the amazing guests sharing incredibly valuable knowledge, head over to iTunes and leave us a great review, which helps us get discovered. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.